Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've uh, got quite a show for you today. I've been working on this all day, as has Rosie B. She has uh, got the lineup all set and ready to go. Rob Louie is going to be joining me in just a minute. Then Mark Middleberg's coming on the show. He's written a book called Contagious Faith, Discover Your Natural Style for Sharing Jesus with Others. Now we're two. Jeff Redorn going to be joining me as we continue our Bible Bible series, and that's going to be 4.0. We're moving up. And after that, we'll probably go to 5.0 or graduate level or whatever. It's going to be great. So that's what the plan is for today. Thanks for being with me. I hope you've had a good day to this point. Rob Louie always starts my Tuesdays. We find what's going on in the nation's capital. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal and always a welcome guest. Rob, hi. It's good to be with you again, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to hear your voice. You always sound like you're smiling, even when you're talking on, on the phone to me. I I am. I'm a smiling kind of guy. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> I can see the smile through the airwaves. So thank you for doing that. All right, let's catch up what's going on in our nation's capital. Tell me about uh, TikTok and, and uh, is it Snapchat facing Congress? Yeah, first time that uh, TikTok and Snapchat have been before members of Congress, of course, it seems that it, not a week goes by when we're, we're not hearing from big tech companies. Yeah. This is a big area of focus, and I think rightfully so, Bill, um, as, as many Americans continue to not only get their information and news from, from these sources, but we also see the impact they're having on, on uh, younger Americans. And so today's focus, focus was primarily on that subject of uh, the influence they were having on, on young adults. Of course, a, a new, uh, some new polling came out, uh, for, or not, not polling, new information came out about uh, how Facebook is losing market share among young Americans. So uh, for, for the older listeners uh, and, and for the younger listeners, uh, probably using two different uh, social media platforms today. There's not a lot of overlap, it seems. Uh, the, the younger crowd is using TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram as their primary source of, uh, of sharing information on, on social media. And, uh, and that was uh, a big concern for lawmakers, particularly TikTok. TikTok, as we know, has connections to the Chinese Communist Party. And Senator Ted Cruz really um, uh, drove this point home when he tried to get the TikTok witness, their head of uh, public policy, to answer some questions about whether or not Beijing uh, would get access to information that TikTok collects on Americans. Uh, this is a concern that, that my colleagues uh, at the Heritage Foundation have raised in the past. And uh, unfortunately, we did not get any answers from TikTok on this today. So I think it still is a question that remains unanswered. And uh, for those who are using TikTok, just something for you to be aware of, that China uh, obviously has an interest in collecting this information, and we obviously don't know how they're potentially going to use it. So just be aware if you sign up for TikTok or your kids want to access TikTok, that this is something you need to be mindful of. Yeah, Rob, does your uh, oldest son, does he gravitate towards these websites or is he too young? Uh, too too young still. Okay. Uh, he he is. My kids love YouTube, uh, but <laughs> right. uh, they um, but not not social media uh, so much. 
you know, it's it's really interesting to watch their their media consumption habits as somebody who works in the media. Right. And so YouTube is is popular, and we we you know do our best to keep a close eye on on what they're what they're watching and restrict what they shouldn't be watching. But uh, you know, a lot of times it's things like Minecraft videos um, where you know they'll be playing Minecraft and they'll be watching a video at the same time and. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, in, in, you know, in some cases it's, it's pretty innocent, but, uh, but, you know, it, as we've talked about before, Bill, I think for a lot of parents, myself included, during the last year and a half during the pandemic, particularly when the kids were, were not in school for the day, you know, it was tough uh, to regulate. And I've heard stories from some parents who said, you know, where if they had a full-time job and they couldn't keep an eye over their kid's shoulder, uh, you know, they would hear from the parents about not, not being engaged. So, it's a challenge out there. I, I realize that it's that is the case for for many parents, um, you know, beyond beyond my own kids. Uh, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's important that we we study the effects and we know what the consequences uh, might be for for people who who use these platforms. Mm-hmm. Rob, what would be your parental recommendation to people uh, listening about TikTok and Snapchat? Oh well. <laughs> I, I always joke that uh, if, if it weren't for, for my job, I would probably not be on these social media platforms myself. But I, I do see the value in them. I mean, I, I certainly do. And uh, it, it, for, for, for kids, um, I think it's the same. I mean, it, it really comes down to how much you're, you're going to be able to, to monitor uh, if you're going to be able to have the conversations with your kids to make sure they know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Um, there are a lot of bad actors out there who will try to take mm-hmm. advantage of young people. Uh, we, we know this, um, you know, in, in some cases it's, it's, you know, for, you know, sexual exploitation in other cases, um, you know, there, there might be other reasons that they, they want to try to gain influence with them. And so I would, I would, <laughs> hold off as long as you can. And uh, when they start asking the question, uh, just make sure that you have in place the tools that allow you to, uh, you know, to, to, to regulate and monitor uh, what they're allowed to do. And uh, in our case, um, I, don't, I, I don't pretend that we're perfect, but I like putting time limits on things because I, I do think that it gives parents some control over how much they're, uh, they're, they're viewing. And it also creates a situation where when they ask for more time, you can say no. And right. you can say it's time for bed or it's time to eat dinner or it's time to do your homework, whatever the case may be. And Rob, aren't some of these websites, I mean, aren't they dopamine hits that their brains are getting used to and they want more of? And that's, oh, a, and I that's think, a danger as well, isn't it? Yes, and certainly, and, and not just for kids. I mean, I think for adults oh, as absolutely. well. I mean, we know the, the addictive... Uh, the addictiveness of, of something like Facebook, uh, even for adults. And so, yes. And, and Bill, I think the other thing which we haven't touched on is the, the fact that um, they're getting their news and information for increasingly from these sites and not other sources like the Daily Signal or Faith Radio, mm-hmm. I think is a concern that parents should be aware of. And I, and I say that because we know that there are, again, um, we're talking about bad actors. There are some individuals who, you know, <laughs> Uh, like to post conspiratorial information, and we know how that can get people, um, you know, influence their their thinking. And so, I think we just need to be really careful about uh, having a, a balanced news diet, as 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 you know, right. I, I've often said in the past. And that's why it's good to look at multiple sources of information, and it's also good to get outside of your comfort level and your bubble, because if you're only reading conservative news. 
uh, you're probably not getting the full perspective of what's going on. And I say that as somebody who <laughs> helps edit a conservative news site. So I'm, I'm really encouraging people to try to look at multiple sources of information. Yeah. Now, Rob, I know you, you live in the um, Loudoun County area. How far are you, are you away from that. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, not too far, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. Um, it's the, it's the neighboring County. Um, okay. so I, I, you know, that Fairfax County is, is one of the, the, the biggest, most powerful counties and Loudoun County is, is I believe the richest County in America. I mean, it is a, um, a quite a prosperous area and it is now ground zero in this Virginia gubernatorial election, which we'll probably be talking about next Tuesday on election day. Yeah. Um, it's a tight race between the Democrat, Terry McAuliffe, who is, uh, a former governor of Virginia. Virginia has a one-term limit, so he had to sit out the last race, but he's come back and is trying to reclaim the seat. And Glenn Youngkin, who's a political newcomer, who uh, previously uh, was a, a, a business executive who has uh, made education the centerpiece of his campaign, largely because of what's going on in Loudoun County. Right. Do talk about what the parents are going through right now um, and the school board and some of the outrage that's happening. Well, sure. There, it's it's happening on a couple of different levels. So on, on the one hand, um, there have been a lot of protests at school board meetings. There was a high profile incident over the summer in which a parent was uh, was, was physically removed from from a meeting, uh, which has been cited as an example in this National School Board Association letter, which got a lot of attention last week because the attorney general, Merrick Garland, was testifying in Capitol Hill. He put out a directive from the Department of Justice and and a lot of parents, I think, were rightfully scared uh, that they might not be able to speak out at meetings because they were using language like domestic terrorism to describe people who show up at board meetings, which is just a head scratcher. Um, but it really started in Loudoun County. And the parent who was speaking out was speaking out because his daughter was sexually assaulted in a women's bathroom, a girl's bathroom, by a transgender student, a mm -hmm. gender fluid student, however... Um, uh, you might describe the individual. So a biological male who was in, in the girl's bathroom. And uh, Bill, I think that this is a, an issue that has, um, you know, we, we, we see it happening across the country. It just so happens that Loudoun County happens to be getting the biggest headlines. And I think it's a concern um, as school districts change their policy and, uh, and allow biological males into to girls' locker rooms and bathrooms. Uh, that's something that happened in Loudoun County. I think it's something that um, as the father of a daughter, I'm con certainly concerned about. Uh, but that's not the only issue. Critical race theory has been another hot topic in Loudoun County. Uh, the school district's embrace of some of the, the anti-racist uh, teachings and, uh, and some of the concerns that uh, they're, they're moving too quickly in, in that direction and, and uh, creating a, a, a two-tiered system of, the, of oppressors and oppressed and separating uh, kids by the, the color of their skin and, and just doing things that I think parents... Uh, from from you know my generation uh, when when we were growing up uh, we we were taught to do the opposite we were taught uh, to, to live in a colorblind society and to, taught to not judge other people by the color of their skin so it's a confusing time for for I know for a lot of parents and I think Loudoun County demonstrates uh, some of the big cultural challenges that uh, that we're dealing with. And I'm under the impression a lot of money is being spent on this race. Oh yes, well uh, certainly, and yeah. uh, and I should have also mentioned that there there's been a high profile resignation from the Loudoun County School Board over some of these controversies. Um, one of the the school board members who came under fire, and so um, it's it's been a hot topic in the debate. Uh, President Biden is going to campaign for Terry McAuliffe after weeks of staying away. When Terry McAuliffe himself said that 
the, the president was unpopular in Virginia and that was dragging down his numbers. So uh, yes, but a lot is at stake. And I'll tell your listeners why it's at stake. And I obviously have a front row view living in Virginia, but so much of the time what happens in these off-year off elections, so, so two states, Virginia and New Jersey, have elections, gubernatorial elections this year, will predict or be a bellwether for what happens next year. And House Democrats are already retiring in large number, uh, preparing for a tough election cycle in 2022. And I think that depending on what happens uh, in, this, in this race next Tuesday, not only will it have political ramifications for, for the U.S. Congress, but it could also have big ramifications for Joe Biden's agenda and whether or not he gets this uh, major piece of legislation through Congress that he's pushing so hard. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break. Be right back with Rob. Tuesday, Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. Rob, when I look at some of the uh, spending bill that is being proposed, and I haven't looked at too much of it, but I've seen gigantic numbers, um, and it seems to me that if it starts to happen, that inflation can only go one direction. Well, that, that is certainly the case, and you don't have to, to take my word for it. I, we, I just spoke to a noted economist, uh, Steve Moore, uh, who was an advisor to the last administration, and he said the exact same thing. When you print so much money and in such a short period of time, which we've already done, Bill. I mean, we've, we've already racked up a, a lot of spending within the past year uh, to combat COVID uh, under, under President Trump and, and earlier this year under President Biden, that when you inject more money into the system through a, a $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, and a $1.9 trillion uh, tax and spending bill, then you're absolutely going to make the problem worse. And I think that Americans are already seeing the results of that. CNBC came out with a poll today asking Americans uh, about these various economic issues. And and what that poll revealed was uh, that they are paying higher prices for everything from from groceries to, to gasoline to uh, used cars, you can go down the list, and and the prices have have shot up uh, quite dramatically. And we're we're continuing to hear about some of the the other challenges, the economic challenges, whether it be with the the supply chain or or you know um, you know fears about not being able to you know put uh, Christmas uh, presents under the Christmas tree. So I, I think it's something to be mindful of. I think it's also one of the reasons why you have the, the Democrats, despite having the majority in, in both the Senate and the House, haven't been able to get things across the finish line because there are some members who are worried about what those unintended consequences might be. Rob, the, both sides of the aisle are, are open to infrastructure, though we're, we're certainly in need of bridges and highways and repairs. I don't think anybody's arguing that point, are they? Oh, absolutely not. But again, only about a quarter of the the actual infrastructure bill would go to those types of things that you mentioned, the roads and bridges. And so that is another concern that now there are are climate related 
provisions in that legislation, which, of course, the Democrats having the majority have, you know, every right to, to propose those those types of solutions. But I, I don't think that the American people necessarily are, are quite ready to to gravitate um, to that. I, I I mean, I am all I mean, I drive a hybrid car, Bill, and I, I, I you know, used to have have, uh, you know, a, a, a plug in <laughs> hybrid. So, yeah. I mean, I'm all felt for, you know, doing doing our part to to help the environment. Uh, at the same time, I think that having spending, you know, billions of dollars on electric charging stations when there might not be, you know, the demand for it right now is is, you know, pr- problematic. And we need to look at, at some of the, the ways that we are um, making these investments, particularly, again, when I, when I, I mentioned that we've already spent trillions of dollars to, to try to bolster the economy to get us through COVID. And I just don't know that these are the right choices uh, to be making right now. The problem with the infrastructure bill is even though it had bipartisan support, in fact, it's called the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework, it can't get through the House of Representatives because Speaker Pelosi is refusing to bring it to the floor for a vote until she can get uh, some other members of her Congress to sign off on the larger uh, tax and spending bill. So I, I don't ultimately know how it's going to play out. I do know that she's given a, a deadline of the end of this month, October 31st. And I also know that President Biden is going to be traveling overseas and won't be there to, to, to lobby directly, um, as he has been. So this is really a crucial week for the Democrats to figure out uh, what, they can, what they can get across the finish line. Yeah, Rob, I'm a little jealous that President Biden is going to Glasgow. Sounds like a nice trip. And he's it, it sure flying, does. flying in luxury comfort. But when he gets there, is it um, a climate a summit? Is it a climate change um, meeting? It certainly is. A, yes, that, that, is the, that is the focus. And I think that the president would certainly like to take with him some good news. Um, and, and just as we um, were, were starting the interview today, I, I got a breaking news alert that the, uh, the, the bill that we've been talking about, the, the bigger bill, is going to include $500 billion for climate, which would be the single largest piece of the legislation. So, I mean, it's clearly showing where the Democrats are putting their priorities. Now, I don't have a whole lot of details about how, how they would spend that $500 billion, but, um, you know, that headline alone signals that, that Biden wants to take a message to, uh, to the other countries. But, you know, the, 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 the challenge here is uh, unless you get cooperation from, from the Chinese, uh, which seems unlikely at this point, I don't know how much progress we are going to be able to make because uh, the fact is that even in Europe, uh, one of the, the where they're seeing a lot of growth in terms of their electricity market, in terms of, of where they're getting the, the energy supply, is coming from coal, which mm-hmm. might be surprising to your listeners. But frankly, you know, with natural gas prices being higher and some of the other challenges and and the, the dislike that, that people have of nuclear power, I mean. <laughs> this is where people are resorting because at the end of the day, they realize they have uh, they have to keep the lights on. So if China doesn't show up at this conference, that it's not going to um, not going to be very helpful. We need them at the table. We do. I mean, particularly given the number of power plants that they're building, right. the amount of emissions that they're they're producing. I mean, you go uh, you look at pictures of China and you see the the pollution problems that that, that country has. I mean, it's amazing to think about the progress we've made here in the United States. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know in order to make to make progress, which is why when you look at the estimates for for the impact that even things like the Green New Deal would have, they're relatively minuscule in terms of you know change in temperature and 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 things of that nature. Because frankly, the United States isn't in this alone. Uh, there are a lot of other nations, almost two hundred other countries, that you know obviously play a role. Mm-hmm. Rob, my faith is not in government, never will be, but. 
Um, I'm curious about my fellow Americans, and are, are they feeling optimistic? Are they feeling uh, pessimistic? What do you think the latest uh, feelings are with people in our country regarding I'm, I'm, the direction of the country? Yeah, as, as as much of an as an optimist I am, uh, and and I, I think that uh, and, and people should be. Uh, the polling doesn't really reflect that, and and it's partly because of coronavirus uh, and all that we've been through as a country. And when they see things not improving uh, as as I think we expected them to improve, when as we were in, in some ways promised, uh, we were told if you get the vaccine and if we get a certain number. Of, of people vaccinated, we'll be able to go back to the way things were, and we won't have to wear masks, and we won't get these constant lectures about uh, restrictions and lockdowns. But, but frankly, Bill, that's not happened. Um, we still in, in Washington D.C., where I am right now, we have a mask mandate. My kids are forced to wear a mask in in their school. Um, I know that's the case for a lot of other um, families across this country. And so, when when a situation like that happens, and, and you still have this threat. Of, of the Biden administration coming out and forcing employers of over 100 employees to have uh, a vaccine mandate. You know, that's hanging over their head. A bunch of businesses came out today and asked the, the Biden administration to please delay that regulation until after the holidays. So I, um, I, I think that there are a number of challenges that are contributing to this pessimism. Uh, but, uh, but here's the one thing I know. We, uh, we as, a, as a country have overcome these challenges in the past. And so that's why I remain optimistic. I think that there are some encouraging things happening out in this great country, and it's not always uh, our dependence on government, but it's our de- you know dependence on on faith-based organization and churches and community groups that will help get us through this. Yeah, Rob, we just have about uh, a minute left. Is there any other piece of breaking news that has happened in the last thirty minutes that you want to share? Oh, geez, I don't know if I if I'm if I'm uh, on it that okay. good, uh, but right. but uh, I mean, I will say uh, just one other thing that uh, that, that caught my attention. Um, Bill is, you know, the fact that um, we are in a situation where uh, there is just so much information, you know, coming at us so quickly. And I would really encourage your your listeners to to check out as we go going back to what we started the conversation with this information about Facebook that uh, this consortium of news organizations is is producing is really fascinating. I mean, there are some documents that mm-hmm. I think Facebook never expected to be out there in the public space that uh, that has been leaked and, and is available. Take a look at it. Be be aware of, of the information you're consuming on social media. I realize that it's a valuable resource for a lot of people to connect with friends and family, uh, but also just be mindful of uh, the way that they tweak their algorithms yeah. to, uh, to influence your opinion. Thank you, Rob. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Blue has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and then we're going to connect with Mark Middleberg. That's all next.
Here's a topic I love, and that's discovering your natural style for sharing Jesus with others. And here to talk about that is Mark Middleberg. He's written a book called Contagious Faith, and the very natural Mark Middleberg is uh, with us today. Mark, welcome. Hey. Good to be with you today, Bill, and uh, I love talking about this topic as well, and I just want to encourage listeners to hang in here because you may think it's not for you, but I hope to change their minds in the next half hour. Well, I hope so, too. I mean, it's um, discovering what's what's going to come naturally is really going to be a smart thing, and you're going to be willing to do it more often. You just got to figure out what it is. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things I saw in your book, which I just thought was so perfect, and it's something I've been talking about for 20 years, is the whole idea that uh, a lot of powerful ministry sort of happens in the middle on your way to doing something else. <laughs> and yeah. it, what seems that Jesus is always being interrupted because he's on his way somewhere and then somebody yells out at him to, uh, and he stops. And it's constantly what's happening. And that, isn't that encouraging in the world we live in? Where yes. Constantly getting, you know, phone calls and interruptions and emails and social media and, and so forth. And, and it's pesky. It is, and we can't do it all, and Jesus didn't do it all, but he often, you know, a lot of his most famous stories are where he's interrupted, he's on his way to somewhere else, and he stops, and he views that as a divine interruption that the Father allowed, and he, he, you know, does his ministry, and, you know, it changes the trajectory of someone's eternity. So uh, we need to be ready for that kind of unexpected adventure in our own lives. Yeah. I mean, the story of Bartimaeus, I know you mentioned this in your book, too. It's Jesus is on the way, and, you know, Bartimaeus is crying out to him, and everyone around him are are telling him to quiet down, leave leave him alone. Yeah. And he just keeps at it. And Jesus stops and says, who's who's talking? You just got to love it. I mean, and Jesus, you know, like us, was busy and had pressures, but you just can't quite imagine him saying, you know, sorry, you're not on my schedule. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we just need that kind of Jesus kind of focus and love and a willingness to be interrupted by things that matter and that, you know, God might use to really have an impact for eternity. Yeah. Mark Middleberger is my guest. Uh, he's written a book called Contagious Faith, Discover Your Natural Style for Sharing Jesus with Others. You do talk about in your book, Mark, five cont- contagious faith styles. I- I'd love to hear about those. Yeah, and maybe I could give just a little background because I think a lot of our listeners will relate to this, and that is what happens when you try to do evangelism, you try to share your faith in ways that don't fit you. Uh, because I had that experience. I actually signed up for a whole summer of it uh, years ago, and uh, it was with a great church, a great ministry. Uh, my wife and me uh, and I were over in England, uh, Heidi and I, and uh, we were doing ministry with this church, but we didn't know quite what we had signed up for. Well, I found out when I got there, we had signed up for a whole summer of knocking on doors of strangers to try to tell them about Jesus. And I just got to tell you, it was rough going. It was not easy. And so when I got done, by the time I was flying back to the U.S., I had decided in my mind, I'm, this is not my deal. I am not cut out for evangelism. 
And ironically, about a year later, I got hired at a large church to lead evangelism, started writing in these areas. My life's never been the same. So it, it proves God has a sense of humor, uh, if nothing else. But uh, what I learned through that experience is that you can find approaches that do fit you. And once you find those, then you kind of have a track to run on. And then evangelism can become an adventure. Like I said earlier, it becomes something exciting. And specifically what I learned is you can you can kind of partner with someone else. In my case, it was my wife, Heidi, who's much more of a friendship builder type. And this is some of the styles that we'll talk about. But she would knock on the doors and people would people open the door for her. <laughs> yeah, and, not so much you, know, you but her. And she's only five feet tall, and I would kind of try to hide behind her, you know, run, come in behind her, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we suddenly were getting invited in more, and people were more interested, and they would serve us tea. And Heidi was really kind of the bridge builder. But then they would ask a hard question, and she'd kind of look to me and go, I think this is your department, buddy, and kind of hand the baton to me. And all of a sudden, we were more naturally fitting in our God-given personalities and niches in ways that God used. And suddenly it wasn't so bad because I don't knock on doors of strangers and Heidi doesn't know the teleological argument. So, <laughs> but we were a good team together in that way. And it's a bit of a description of what I write about in Contagious Faith and what I want our listeners to understand is that sharing your faith doesn't have to be something that's incongruent with who God made you to be. I love that. And John fifteen fifteen says, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. And I think friendship building, friendship evangelism, it sometimes takes a little bit of extra effort and a little bit more patience. But boy, what a great foundation on which to get into more intimate conversations. Yeah. Well, and that's the first of these five, what I call contagious faith styles, and uh, we call it the friendship-building style. By the way, Jesus did all of them, and some of our listeners might be able to do all of them, but most of us have a dominant style, you know, like a main approach, uh, or maybe two that are sort of shared. Um, and the first one is the one my wife Heidi has, the friendship-building style. Uh, we see it in Luke 529, where it talks about Matthew, the tax collector, Turned disciple who invited all of his text collecting buddies and all of his new buddies, the disciples, and his ultimate buddy, Jesus, and he gets them all together at a party at his house. And he, you know, he, he warms up the friendship, but he uses that then to talk about faith matters. And God blesses his party and uses it. And some of our listeners are more the friendship builder types. They, they love people. They're focused on the needs and interests of their friends. And they can use that to build, build bridges of trust to then talk about spiritual matters in a very personal way with their friends. Yeah. Kind of cool to think you'd organize a little gathering of your friends and then the uh, Son of God himself walks through the door in the flesh. You know, it always <laughs> makes a party better when Jesus... I couldn't agree. <laughs> Mark, you you hit the nail on that head. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about a selfless serving. That's another style you talk about in your book, Contagious Faith. Yes, this is the second one. And our example of this one is in Acts 9. Short little passage tells us about a woman named Tabitha 
who made clothing for needy people in her little town. And, uh, in fact, her service must have been important because it tells you in that passage that she died. And it's like God's in heaven going, no way, I need her, we got to put her back to work. <laughs> so he sends Peter over to pray over her and raise her back to life and put her back into service. And I, I like to joke when I'm uh, teaching churches about this and, and, you know, say, you know, you just don't know. There are some advantages to certain styles, you know. <laughs> you Maybe God will have the same attitude if you get sick. But... Uh, but this one, you know, this one, what I like about it is it reaches the hardest to reach people. Uh, people who are hurting are often angry. They're often, you know, their their fist is clenched at God. They're, they're saying, why did you allow this to happen? They're, uh, you know, frustrated. They're hurt. And maybe they're hurting other people. But someone who's like a, a Tabitha, so kind of a first century Mother Teresa example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there's people today, some of our listeners, who they don't need a spotlight. They don't want a stage. Uh, they often work in more behind-the-scenes ways, but they see needs that I might not see. And they find delight in meeting those needs. And when they serve people in that Jesus-like way, they tend to bring the wall down between that person and God brick by brick by brick. And over time, they earn respect. They earn trust. And they earn an openness to then talk about the gospel. Uh, but if I could add a quick PS on this one, the challenge I give people with this style is don't merely serve silently. It, this is a temptation for these types sometimes is to kind of do your service and walk away and hope they figure it out. Whereas Jesus said in uh, Matthew 5 on the Sermon of, on the Mount, he said, let your light shine in such a way that people will see your works and glorify your Father. Mm. And so we need to serve in a way that, you know, we we drop hints and we tell them, you know, I, I, I love helping you with this. I love, you know, bringing food over or helping you fix your car or whatever it is. But I want you to know what motivates me is the love of Jesus that has changed my life. And so we need to attach the message to the service. And when we do, that can have real impact. And, Mark, that's not making it about us. It's helping the service point people to Jesus. Exactly. It's not the—we're not bragging. Right. But it's really the opposite. It's like I'm not even going to allow them to think I'm just the super nice person automatically. No, um, I'm a a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread because I'm so grateful for what God has done in my life. I want to share that with you. And so it's really pointing back to the you know, glory of God and to the love of Jesus. Yeah, and Mark, you remind us in in your book, um, in Acts 9, that when Tabitha became sick and died, it caused great sorrow in the community. So she was probably also good at friendship building as well. Yeah, yep, good point. And that's a good example. I'm glad you brought that up of a combination of these styles. And I like to reinforce that. that we're not trying to say, you know, pick one and then stay in your lane. <laughs> Not at all. We're trying to say there's lots of avenues you can run on. Run on as many as you feel comfortable with, um, but get your feet in the water. Let's let's get in the game. We're all called as followers of Jesus to share the good news with the people around us. And I'm just trying to help all of us find that some route that will be natural for us to get going. 
So in other words, let's have toolboxes with as many tools in as possible and not be afraid to reach for any of them. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, Mark Middleberg is my guest. His book is called Contagious Faith, Discovering Your Natural Style for Sharing Jesus with Others. And some of these styles that you've mentioned so far, I've, I'm completely loving. And, and style number three is called story sharing. Yes. And this one, it, it sounds a little generic, but I'm especially thinking of your story, your own testimony, what God's done in your life. And in the book, the example I use for Exhibit A in the modern world is my good friend and ministry partner, Lee Strobel, who if you read any, you know, you read The Case for Christ or you read his new book, Case for Heaven or any in between, Lee's constantly referring back to his own story. You know, he was a a hard-hearted reporter who, you know, thought God was a joke and he was an atheist and he was skeptical. And he, he tells his story about how through his research, you know, God opened his eyes and helped point him to the truth of the gospel. So Lee, you know, whether he's speaking, whether he's writing, he uses that story all the time. And the biblical example is in John 9, the blind man who Jesus encountered, as we said earlier, on his way to somewhere else. He encounters this blind man, does a miracle, heals the guy, but before the man has a chance to blink, I mean, he's just enjoying his new sight, and he suddenly finds himself on trial for what happened. And the Pharisees, you know, they're pressing him for answers and information about Jesus and by what authority he did this. And the guy, you know, you read in the text there in John 9, you can just kind of see him getting fed up. And he finally just says, look, I don't know. All I know is this, I used to be blind, now I can see. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. What are you going to do, argue with my experience? And that's sort of what Lee says. I was a skeptic, I looked into it, the evidence pointed to Christianity. You look into it yourself, deal with it. And all of us have a story to tell. If If you're a follower of Christ, maybe you were just a boring church attender, but then you came to life spiritually when you found out this isn't just about attending a building or a service. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And that's a story to tell, and that's one that probably a lot of your neighbors will relate to as well. Mark, there's something so powerful about a life well-lived. Absolutely. People can't argue that one. That is so right. And I think a lot of people in our culture today are not as much looking for information and evidence, though we're going to get to that. Um, But a lot of them just want to know, does it work? You know, does it work in your life, Bill? What difference does it make? Is is knowing Jesus better? And if it is, show me with, you know, your life. Tell me your story. And uh, if you can illustrate that, the difference Christ makes, a lot of people say, you know, that's a difference I need in my life. Mm -hmm. Let me take a short break. Mark Middleberg is my guest. He's the author of the book, Contagious Faith, along with some other books. He's also the executive director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Mark Middleberg is my guest. He is um, at the, not only a great author, but his book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, I think it sold close to a couple million copies. Way to go, Mark. Yeah, that uh, that was a long time ago. It was a book and a training course, and it got translated in a bunch of languages. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Around the world. I, I'm so grateful, and it's part of the cool thing is that when you write, it can go places you don't go, and uh, God can use it all around the planet. Yeah. Have you seen your books in other languages, and do you look at it and go, I don't understand any of this? I have in, in quite a few languages. Yeah. Sometimes the only thing I can read is my last name. They, <laughs> they usually leave that German spelling alone. Yeah, but, right. Uh, right. Yeah, no, it is. It's a thrill and a privilege, and I, I'm just thrilled to be on this adventure. Honestly, I, I don't think there's anything more rewarding or more exciting than to be used by the God of the universe in a way that impacts someone around me in you know their spiritual life and in their eternity. I mean, that's just the best. Mm-hmm. Mark's book is called Contagious Faith, one we're talking about today, Discover Your Natural Style for Sharing Jesus with Others. I always go back to 1 Peter 3.15, and you're, and you're always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I have a feeling one of the styles is being able to give those reasons. Yes, in fact, this is the fourth of the five contagious faith styles, and if I could just say, I think this is probably the most godly of the five, and probably the the best of the five. And uh, oh, oh, by the way, this next one's mine as well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I, I like to have fun. You know, it, I tell people once you know what your style is, then you know you can have a little trash talking, you know, in your small group, which which approach is better and. Um, and I, I want people to embrace the one that God's given them and say, this is important. And uh, I'll do the same. And this one's called the reason-giving style. And uh, this one is, you know, the verse you just quoted, First Peter 3.15, is a really good verse for this one. Because it tells all of us as believers that we need to be thoughtful and have reasons for our faith and able to answer questions and so forth. So, and, and, you know, it's worth pointing out right here, we should all have elements of all of these. I mean, it's not like I don't ever share my testimony or or uh, build friendships. I, there's elements of that. But my main one, and I learned it in spades that summer when I was in England, is it's not friendship building. It's not the fifth one that we're going to get to in a minute. It's this one, reason giving. Because, I, I, in fact, at that time, I was studying and getting my master's degree uh, in Chicago for uh, my area of philosophy of religion, which deals more with Christian apologetics, you know, giving reasons. And yet here I am trying to knock on doors and talk to strangers. It just, it wasn't a congruent fit. But once I started specializing, I let Heidi knock on the door, I'll try to answer the questions. Now I'm saying, this isn't so bad. Uh, I love talking to people with doubts, mm-hmm. uh, people with you know from other belief systems, people with 
questions, people who are skeptical. I go, that's, that's good, but be sure and be skeptical about your skepticism as well. You know, ask the hard questions. And I believe if you approach this, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, uh, if you seek, you'll find. And I think if you keep seeking with an open mind, you're going to see that Christianity is true and Jesus is the way to the Father and to heaven. And I'll give you reasons. You want 20 of them? I'll give you. I actually wrote a book with 20 reasons for the Christian faith. Uh, that's a, that's my confident faith book. But, uh, you know, I think we have great reasons to believe what we do. And our example in Scripture is Paul, who... Um, you know, went into Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, in Act 17, and gave reasons for the gospel and in very logical ways explained what it meant. And a bunch of those philosophers ended up giving their lives to Christ. People are going to have intellectual roadblocks, and when you can give a reason and help people with those roadblocks, it really is satisfying, and it helps people in their faith journey. I think of the guy on the tarmac with two flashlights that guide a 757 to the gate. Oh, that's really good. And he doesn't have a lot of power, but he's got truth on his side. And <laughs> he it does. Having quite a, makes a, quite a difference. Yeah. And, and I've seen that over the years, um, you know, as I share the gospel with people, you know, sometimes it's just one answer. In fact, I, I love to say this. You probably have friends in your life right now who are one or two good answers from away from knowing Christ mm-hmm. for all of eternity. Yeah. So it's important for us to study, and I'll add a caution on this one. We need to do it with, you know, give our answers, as it says in that same verse at the end of 1 Peter 3.15. We need to share what we share with gentleness and respect. And sometimes Christians get obnoxious with their truth and what they know from Scripture and what they've learned. And we need to not do that, especially on social media. We need to be the exception of someone who's gentle and says, you know, I understand why you might think that. Here's what I learned. And that will help open people up as well. Mm -hmm. All right, Mark, let's talk about truth, contagious faith style number five, which is truth-telling. Yeah, the truth-telling style. Here again, we're all supposed to tell the truth. But some people are are strong with truth, and they're able to challenge people, especially, you know, those that are sitting on the fence and kind of playing church and, and kind of keeping God. You know, they believe, but they don't want to get too carried away. I'm actually describing myself when I was in high school, and it was someone with this style that woke me up spiritually, kind of nudged me off the fence and helped me finally commit my life to Christ for real when I was age 19. And so the example of this one is Peter, uh, who in the, you know on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, let him have it with the truth. I mean, he was strong when he preached that message. And if you read it, you know, 3,000 people came to faith that day through Peter's hard-hitting, very direct truth-telling style. And some of our listeners, they're just more get-to-the-point kind of people. They don't like small talk. You know, at work or in relationships, they're more bottom line. Let's let's create some action here. Let's Let's do something. Let's make a difference. Well, if they apply that to sharing their faith, they help people like me when I was 19 get off the fence and follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of minutes left, Mark. Um, what happens when you start with one of these styles 
and you quickly realize it ain't working, can you call an audible and change to a different style? Absolutely. Oh, you're good. not stuck at all. Oh, good. And I, I actually have a whole chapter on what to do when your style doesn't fit. Sometimes you stretch a little and the Holy Spirit will use it. Uh, other times you partner with someone else. And this is why I like to get whole churches and whole Sunday school classes and whole small groups learning this so they can know each other's styles. And then like Heidi and me at the doors uh, in England, you know, you learn to more intentionally team up with someone else in your circle. Mm-hmm. Mark, really nice. Uh, really nice having you on the show. I think your book is great. I think there's a lot lot to uh, gain from it and learn from it and be reminded of. And, and you can take a little you know, self-diagnosis. What's my style? Where am I comfortable? Yeah. And how can I get better at these various styles so I can be ready in any situation? And we actually have a diagnosis like that at our uh, webpage, which is uh, contagiousfaithbook.com. Nice. A little diagnosis. But I just want to urge our listeners, don't sit on the sidelines. Get in the game and let God use you, and he will use you, and it'll impact the people around you, and nothing is more rewarding than that. Yeah, Mark, tell me the website again for the diagnosis, the yeah, self-diagnosis. It's the name of the book, Contagious Faith, and then add the word book. So it's contagiousfaithbook.com. Awesome. Mark, you've been a delight. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Bill, and thanks for all you do to encourage so many. I love it, and thank you once again. Mark Middleberg has been my guest. His book is Contagious Faith, Discover Your Natural Style for Sharing Jesus with Others. We're going to take a little break. We come back. Hour two is ahead with Jeff Verdorn. We're going to continue our Bible Bible study. We can't wait. 4.0 is just ahead. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.